You are listening to the Fancy Free Podcast, where my guests and I tell our most embarrassing, funny stories so that we all feel less alone in our imperfections and forge connection through vulnerability and humor. I'm Joanne Jarrett, and I'm your host. And today I have with me Shondell Mon. Shondell and I connected because we are in the same podcasters educational group. Shondell lives in the Pacific Northwest and is the author of the book, Trailblazer, a woman's guide to letting go of expectations, trusting yourself, and clearing the path to a fulfilling life. She works as a life coach, helping women become trailblazers in their own lives. When she isn't working with her clients, she loves to travel, spend time with her family, and read. Her mission in life is to empower women to go after their dreams and to trust their inner compass. Shondell, thank you so much for being with me today. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, fill in the blanks. What did I miss about who you are and what you do? That pretty much encompasses all of it. I live in Washington State. I've only been here for about a year. I have four kids. Uh, We've been homeschooling for about five years now. Wow. Yeah. We moved from Colorado, so I lived there for 12 years before we moved here. Where are you in Washington State? Olympia. So the very top yeah. corner. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I went yeah. to college in Seattle, but I didn't get around as much as I probably wish I you had think? now. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot in Seattle, right? Exactly. Hardly any reason to leave that city when you're there as a college student, especially. Yeah. And your four kids, what are their ages? I have twins who are 13, a 11-year-old and a seven-year-old. Wow. And how do they feel about moving? They were excited. You had mentioned we travel a lot. So we're very adventurous. And being in Colorado for 12 years, we had explored a lot in Colorado and around it. So we were all just kind of excited for a new adventure. Well, you've picked a great part of the country. Yeah, we love it here. And you're homeschooling. Golly. So you've been doing that five years. You're kind of ahead of the curve. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone's freaking out about how to homeschool. And you're like, I got this figured out. (laughs) Yeah, really. I feel very grateful that I started when I did because it did take me a few years to get into my stride. I am a dyed-in-the-wool introvert, and I just feel like homeschooling for me would maybe push me over the ever-loving edge just because I really need a lot of alone time to be the mom and wife that I want to be. And so I feel really fortunate that public school has worked out for us. I know that I would have figured out a way, you know, like, oh, introverts can't homeschool or anything. Yeah, I'm a major introvert. Really? Well, I get it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So you have four kids around you all day long. Yeah. yeah. And you are in charge of their education. And you're an introvert. God yeah. bless you, woman. Wow. Yeah. That was the biggest adjustment in the end is learning how to find that balance of finding time for me while also doing all the other house responsibilities while also, you know, having them all around. And we did do public school for a few years. My twins went through second grade and my little boy, he went through the whole year of kindergarten. So we did do a little bit of public school. What kind of informed the decision to make the switch? (laughs) Because that's a huge switch. It is. I'd always had it in the back of my mind, but I Mm. thought that I would have them go through like maybe part of elementary school. I don't know. I wasn't fully committed. And it actually wasn't the school. We liked our school. We liked our teachers. It had nothing to do with public school itself. It was really this sort of inner call that it was time to take that leap. Our youngest daughters adopted and it just felt it was so chaotic at that Mm -hmm. time. 
So the fact that I felt called to start homeschooling at the time, I was like, are you serious? This is this is crazy. Really? Is something else on my plate? What? My plate is so full. <laughs> oh, Lord. I say that because it was a really strong pull. Must have been. Yeah. And in the end, it was great in that they would all have been in school and my daughter would have been home by herself with me, which is fine. But having the boys home was great for building their relationship and being Mm -hmm. able to have our own schedule and do things our way. It was actually a really crucial piece because we travel so much and Mm -hmm. well, not this year, but you know, other years. We are usually traveling a lot. And so having that flexibility to move school around and when we take vacations and everything just fit into our greater life vision. Yeah. I knew a family in Reno who had a house in Hawaii that they were working on, and it was like a totally off-the-grid house. And they went there for several months out of the year. One of their kids was in one of my daughter's classes. And the mother said to me, can you believe this teacher had the gall to suggest to me that I should probably just homeschool my kids because they're missing like two months of school a year. And I was like, no, I can totally believe that. That seems like something you should do if you're pulling your kids out that much. Like, no, that seems right. (laughs) I was like, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For families that like to be on the go, it just makes so much sense. Let's get to know you a little better. I'm going to go through some rapid fire questions here. All right. If you could rename yourself, what name would you pick? I would pick something really common like, I don't know, Brittany or Jane or something. My name's Shondell. No one knows how to say it typically. And with the CH, which usually makes like a ch sound, it doesn't make sense. (laughs) You're like, mom, if you're going to name me something unusual, can you please spell it phonetically? (laughs) All of my siblings, we all have C in the front. And I'm the oldest, so they started with me. So I don't know. Mm. I guess they could have done whatever they wanted. That's what I would do. One time I did go into a Wendy's and, you know, sick of being like, okay, what name do you put it under? And like them never calling it out right. I just said, Brittany. Mm-hmm. My kids looked at me really weird and I was like, listen. <laughs> That's my Wendy's name. Get over it. I'm just sick of them like, being like, how do you spell that? You know, every time they ask you that. Mm-hmm. But it didn't work because we were kind of just chilling, waiting for our food. And then I was just waiting and, and my kids looked at me. They're like, mom, mom, they're calling you. I was like, no, they're not. <laughs> And they're, like, and they're like, Brittany, Brittany. And I was like, oh, yeah, my name's Brittany right now. <laughs> you did not stay in character. It didn't work. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> if you could pick any celebrity to be your best friend, who would you choose? Hands down, Taylor Swift, especially folklore era Taylor Swift. I've heard so many good things about Taylor Swift. I love her creativity. I just kind of love how she interacts with her fans. There's just something about her vibe that I'm like, mm-hmm. I feel like we could be really good friends. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, maybe someday. You never know. You never know. (laughs) Maybe you should start going by the name Taylor. Uh, Hey, there's an idea. Then if they called Taylor, you'd be like, wait, where's my best friend? Is she here? (laughs) Looking around? (laughs) Oh, my husband always teases me. My my dream guest is Jennifer Garner. I think she is so like human and approachable and super fun. And I think she would I don't think she would be worried at all to tell her embarrassing stories. So, no. and you know, I keep, I try to, I, I send a letter like every few months somewhere, you know, different places to see if I can try to get her. And of course I never will, but you know what, here's to hoping, right? We well, are not going to get That's her awesome. I love that Thank you do that. Thank you. And my husband, so my husband will sometimes like, if he'll, if he sees her on TV, he'll be like, there's Jenny, your, your pal. Have you heard from her yet? I'm like, stop it. 
you never know. Well, she's busy. She'll get back to me later. <laughs> yeah, we we have an understanding, Jenny. Yeah. And I. <laughs> Like, I'm not a high maintenance friend. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, what movie line gets quoted in your house? The first one is from Twilight. Bella guesses that he's a vampire and he just like says it in this really funny way. And he just like says like say it. And it's such a simple quote, but like me and my husband, we say it to each other all the time, just like in random moments where <laughs> <laughs> where I'm like, just say it. And we say it in like the vampire voice. <laughs> I love it. And then also we quote Zoolander a lot. He's like, am I taking crazy pills? <laughs> we say that a lot. <laughs> I love it. What's your favorite thing about where you live? When you live in the Pacific Northwest, what I've found is like you either love the rain or you hate it. And I love the rain. Oh, my. And I love the cloudy, moody vibes. Wow. I know. I'm not normal. I feel like I already know. Like people are like, are you ready for the rain? I'm like, I moved here for the rain and they just don't even know how to take that. (laughs) (laughs) I am so happy for you because I feel like the Pacific Northwest is the perfect place to live except for the low clouds because the low clouds made Mm. it feel like the sky was right on top of my head. I don't know. It's the vibe. I feel the energy of places around me. And I'm a very self-reflective person. So just the sort of cloudy, foggy, moody just sort of thing mm-hmm. like really resonates with me. I really like cozy. So I can kind of understand it, although it doesn't yeah. feel cozy to me. Right now it's getting dark at like 445. We're so yeah. far north. I'm sure it's like for you too. And people don't like that. Yeah. I love it because as soon as it gets dark outside, I feel like I'm in the cocoon of my house, mm-hmm. stoking my fire, and it's all warm and cozy. And I feel like I don't have to be productive when it's dark. So there's <laughs> way more leeway in the winter to not be productive. In the summer, I'm like, I would have to be an energizer bunny because it stays light till 11, you know? Or t- yeah. T- it's so true. That's such a positive mindset to have. I'm going to adopt that. Oh, good. Yeah, very good. It's always good if somebody can point out the silver lining and then you can remind yourself of that later. Yeah. All right. What's your silliest memory with your best friend? This was like in middle school. So I was right in the age demographic and we just gone to an NSYNC concert and her mom, bless her, after the concert, we saw like the black SUV kind of drive out of the back garage. We're like, follow it, follow it. And she did. She followed it. And I we um, it. followed them all the way to the club that they were going to after the show. We had school the next day, by the way. <laughs> we camped outside by a limo, hoping it was theirs and that they would come out. And it wasn't theirs. It was Britney Spears' limo. But <gasps> what? yeah, and we were like very close. And I was like, it's Britney Spears. And she like turned and she's like, hi guys. But I was like, you know, she was dating Justin Timberlake at the time, who was like my, my love. So oh, I was she like, was I can't, it was it doesn't matter that she was a celebrity. I was like, oh, ew. Talk to the hand sister. I'm sorry. Yeah. The funny part about that is we had to go to the bathroom. My friend's little sister had to go. And so the mom took her into the club. They let her go to use the bathroom. But we're like, we cannot leave because what if they come out when we're in the bathroom? She ran into Justin Timberlake taking the little sister to the bathroom. We could have met (gasps) Justin Timberlake. What? You're like, wow, we made the wrong decision there. It's regret of my life. (laughs) I love it. Well, as you know, the point of this podcast is to show our embarrassing side so that other people will show theirs and then we all will feel less alone. So what not so fancy moment do you have for us today? So this was our first international trip and we went to England 
And we thought it was a safe location because we spoke the same language. (laughs) We were in Bath and eating at this little Italian sort of pizzeria. And I'm kind of a picky eater and I don't really like meat a whole lot. So I was going to order this veggie pizza, but half the ingredients, I had no idea what they were. It was (laughs) rocket, courgette, and aubergine. And I was like, Will, what are these? That's my husband. And he's like, I have no idea. You're going to have to ask. Traveling outside of the country, I don't want to look like the dumb American, especially in Europe. Sometimes we get made fun of. We don't want to stoke the stereotype. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to fit the stereotype. And we had done a ton of study because we were homeschooling at that time. I like to read about the history and the culture before I go there so that I don't just come in and be this dumb tourist. So I called the waiter over and I said, hey, I I have some questions on these. I'm not sure what some of these ingredients are. And he's like, yeah, sure. I was like, okay, so um, what's rocket? And he just looks at me, "Um, that's arugula. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. (laughs) And then I was like, okay, um, and uh, courgette, he's like, courgette. He's becoming amused. You can see it on his face. He's, <laughs> He's like, like smiling. She's so cute. She doesn't even know how to say it right. She doesn't even know the basic vegetables. He's like, zucchini. I was like, oh, okay. And then he like gets up to leave. And I was like, um, one more. And <laughs> you know that moment like when you're talking to like a little kid and you kind of get down on their level and you kind of like uh-huh. bend down and you put your hands on your knees and you're right in their face. Oh, aren't you just so cute? And he's just like, okay. And I was like, um, oh, uh, aubergine? And he's like, aubergine? And he just like smiled huge and just, like eggplant. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry. In America, we call it zucchini and eggplant. He knew the American terms for it, right? Uh, yes, he knew the American terms. He was just like oh, so Lord. amused. He thought it was so funny. And I was so embarrassed. <laughs> He was very nice about it. And I said, okay, that all sounds great. I want it. For the rest of the time that we were there, he just kept coming back and teasing me. And it was fine in the end, but it was just so embarrassing, you know, just to fit that stereotype. You try so hard to re-educate yourself and blend. I did. (laughs) And I thought I was safe. I mean, it was England. English country. I thought I was like going to be okay. (laughs) Thank you for slaying the stereotype wherever you can. Sometimes you just have to ask. I don't know about rocket, but I'm saying courgette and aubergine are French words. I am so sorry. What are they doing using the French terms in the UK? That's what I I want to know. Is that restaurant trying to be fancy? I don't know. I know that's what they say there. Really? Okay. Not just at that restaurant. Like if you watch Graham Norton, he's a talk show on BBC and a guest was on there and he was talking about aubergine and he's from Scotland. That's like what they use. You're like, all right, it was legit. They're all there and they're influenced by each other. So yeah, especially in the culinary world, those things I think really can cross over. Yeah. I like courgette and rocket, but I don't like any kind of aubergine. I would have been like, no aubergine on my pizza, please. And maybe it's just because I don't know how to cook it, but it's always seemed slimy to me. I remember it being really good. I know what you're saying. It wasn't like an overabundance of aubergine on it. I'm glad that you were able to enjoy your pizza despite your embarrassment. Thank you. you. (laughs) It was really good. So that, that was a plus in the end. 
That's the fun of travel, though, as well, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and Mm -hmm. exploring and learning new things. What is one surprising thing about you that nobody would know just by looking? I am Hawaiian, Japanese, and Chinese. So on the outside, I think I look very Asian. But, um, you know, my whole life, actually, people have no idea what I am because I'm mixed. What's funny is I find that I am kind of like a chameleon when it comes to culture, meaning that Hawaiians, when they look at me, they're like, oh, you're Hawaiian, right? And then like Asians, same thing. But then the surprising one is Hispanic. I can't even tell you my whole life, people come up to me and just start speaking Spanish. Oh, boy. (laughs) And what's funny is my husband can speak Spanish. He's white. And I always have to be like, oh, no, uh, the white guy next to me can talk to you. You look at him with your eyes like, can you translate, please? Even because of my name, this has happened to me before where somebody has talked to me and has seen my name and they assume that I'm black. And then when I come in, they're like, oh, you don't look like a Shondell. You don't look like how I thought you looked. So it's really funny. With the exception of Caucasians, I seem to appeal physically like everybody thinks that I'm their culture. That's awesome. What a wonderful way to be. Isn't that funny though? Yeah, I think that kind of stuff is so interesting to observe. And I love hearing Mm -hmm. that kind kind of like sociological observations that people make about assumptions that others make. I think that's fascinating. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And the other thing is that I'm a huge Anglophile, so obsessed with everything British. So England was also a choice for her first because I've never really felt like any location felt like home. Um, Even though I grew up in Utah most of my life, a lot of my family is from Hawaii, so a lot of them still live there. So there's a lot of that culture in my home growing up, but no location ever felt like home except for England. And I'd never been to England. But like when I think of England, it feels like home. So interesting. But I love everything British. I love BBC above like pretty much any American show and always been drawn to British literature and movies and music even sometimes. But I didn't really like fully realize this about myself until right before we went to England. When we first landed in England, we went to Cliffs of Dover and I was like, this is my place. Well, if you like cloudy, that fits too. It does. That is a dream to live in England one day. I don't look English. (laughs) Like the one place where you would not blend. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The one place where I don't have family heritage. I'm like, Mm -hmm. that's home. (laughs) So crazy. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering if you have ever spoken to other people that feel like no place has ever felt like home. And if there are more people who feel like that, that had a dominant culture in their household that wasn't similar to the dominant cultures of most other households around them growing up. Where do you think that feeling came from? I do think that where it came from is because I did have a cultural identity crisis growing up mm-hmm. because living in Utah, when, especially when I was younger, it wasn't as diverse. I was surrounded by people who didn't look like me and my parents had just moved from Hawaii. So culturally, they were very different. We didn't grow up eating casseroles or cheese or pasta. We had like Asian food and Hawaiian food. And so it's like we were just very different. So when I went to school, I physically didn't look like everyone else. I didn't fit in. But the funny thing about that is that once I got into school, I was mostly around that sort of like 
mainland America culture, that influenced the way I talked, the things I was interested in. Culturally, I was more mainland America. So like when I we would visit family or they came to visit us, I looked more like them, but I culturally was less like them. So I didn't fit in anywhere. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Interesting. Huh? I was like in the middle and I was like, okay, I don't fit in there. I don't fit in here. Where do I fit in? Funny enough, though, that has been my life journey is finding that I really don't fit in in any of these boxes that I try and put myself in. And that's really where my book, Trailblazer, kind of stemmed from, like really at the root of it was kind of starting back then. And then living this life where I never really felt like I fit in anywhere, but just trying to fit in, kind of building identities and a life based off of trying to fit in with other people and kind of like taking on their expectations. And then sort of coming to this point in my life after I'd been married and had kids where I was feeling really unfulfilled with my life. And what I had found is that I'd built this identity in life that wasn't really authentic to what I wanted and who I was. And so sort of breaking all of that down and having to start again and finding myself and building the life I really want, which I'm living today. Wow, that's amazing. Because it's one thing to realize that you've kind of painted yourself into a corner that you didn't want to be in. It's Mm -hmm. a completely different thing to say, yep, I'm going to fix this and slowly chip away at all the stones that you've placed wrongfully. Wow. Yeah, it's really questioning it all, questioning everything, the things I've been taught to value, to the expectations, like just even defining the roles that you're in as a mother, as a wife, as an individual person, just really questioning it all. And coming back, I, you know, I talk about the inner compass, coming back to yourself, that deeper part of you, and learning how to trust yourself again and to follow those things. We're really taught to doubt ourselves a lot mm-hmm. and doubt that inner knowing that we have. I think that is what leads to a lot of, you know, women, especially feeling really unfulfilled with their lives following other people's rules. Yes. When was your book published? November 1st. Wow. It's new. new. Oh, hey, congratulations. New. That's so exciting. Yeah, it's been really fun. Thank you. Remind me, have you started your podcast? I started a, a podcast last year. Oh, uh, that's right. I had like 16 or 17 episodes. And since writing my book, I've kind of pivoted a little bit. So all the old episodes are still there, but I'm about three weeks into the pivoted version of my podcast. Okay, the reinvention. Nice. I will definitely link to that in the show notes. Tell me about your recurring coaching program. What I really do is I help women to do what I've done in my life is to, you know, become trailblazers in their own life to if they're ready to follow that inner compass to trust themselves and to question all the rules that they may be following now that they want to let go of. And really create what I call a daring life. I call it daring because what I've found is that once you start questioning things, the people around you, you know, can maybe not like it. And a lot of people want to doubt you. And when you have that inner knowing that you know something's right for you, it's hard to explain that to people because they're not feeling the same thing. So there can be a lot of doubt there. And so I really work with women who really want to learn how to trust their inner compass and I help support them and guide them through that journey of questioning, redefining, you know, letting go, and then learning how to trust that inner compass as they move forward and actually start clearing their path. I have a three-step trailblazer process. The first part's questioning. The second part's really learning how to trust your inner knowing. 
And then it's the external actions of changing habits, starting new routines, changing environments, having boundaries in relationships. It's all the external things that need to change. I'm not there to tell them what to do because I couldn't possibly know what the best thing is for for them. Only they're going to know that. But what I really do is support them in, I believe them when they're saying, this is what feels right to me. That was what was missing for me for a lot of the beginning of my journey. I felt really alone. It was really hard for the people around me because these were traditions and expectations and limiting beliefs that had been passed down to me. So to sort of challenge those meant that they kind of had to challenge their stuff and, and it changed dynamics is what it did. Yeah. I'm just, I keep thinking about your marriage through all of this and how, how scary that must've been. My husband's really great. It was hard. There were many like rocky parts in our marriage, mainly because a lot of the things that came up were our interactions with our families. Mm, Okay. Not only were we redefining the dynamics within our own little family with our kids, but you know, that applied to extended family as well. The dynamics there were changing and some people didn't take it very well. It's a lot of work. There's a reason why they're passed down. A lot Mm -hmm. like our limiting beliefs and different things are passed down because it's it's not easy in our work, but I call and that's why I call it a daring life, because if you're willing to go there, what you get as a result is this life that is just like so beautiful and amazing, but beyond in imagination. Like truly. You gotta be willing to go through it. It's hard work to change each of those little pieces. But then I can imagine once you've accomplished all of that change, the end product is greater than the sum of the parts of what you've even done. It's just kind of everything falls together. Absolutely. I just can't imagine looking at my husband and saying, you know what, I think the person you married isn't the person I am. Like, I think that person is the person I thought I should be. Or I mean, that's not that just seems really scary to me. Yeah, it's vulnerable. But you know, you guys survived that. And so he surely saw deeper down into who you really are. And that's probably who he loved and still loves. Yeah, the parts that he really loved about me, loves about me are still there. In actuality, because I've worked through the things and let go of some things, those parts of me actually shine more. Yeah, I'm sure that you definitely are more free to be the unique you that was Mm -hmm. glimmering through before. Yeah, it was just like glimmers before, but now it's like a more permanent part of me and you can see it more in my everyday life rather than just like little glimpses here and there. Yeah. Wow, that's that's so fascinating. I'm just curious, where do you think our inner knowing comes from? What is our inner compass? I'm like a spiritual person and I'm religious, but I don't think this just applies to people who are religious. If you're spiritual in general, if you believe in a higher power, I think that this still applies. I believe that we existed before we came into these like mortal bodies. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that we'll exist after we die. And so it's this inner knowing is that part of us. When we we have this part that existed before, and then we come to this earth and we are born into a physical body, and there's like this another consciousness that comes with that, which is what I call in my book, The Natural Instinct, but it's like ego. And it's the part of us that wants us to survive. So when you hear about mindset, like if you're in the self-development world, in my opinion, helps you to control your ego, the survival part of you. But then I think there's a deeper part that we all have. It's the part of us that existed before and is kind of more in our subconscious and our conscious mind. 
we're learning. We learned then, we'll learn after, we're learning now. It knows all of that. And so it's really when I talk about connecting with our inner compass, we're, we're connecting to that deeper part of us that sees the bigger picture that this life that we have on earth, while important and we can learn and experience so much, it's not the only thing. So when we are like fear, fear is very survival-based and can keep us from experiences and learning that we could really gain and use. And our inner compass is always going to be coming from a place of love and growth and learning. So it sees that bigger picture. So it's always going to push us for things that are purposeful and experiences and something that's going to help you grow in some way or learn in some way. I think a lot of religions believe that, but then even those who are not in a denomination, a lot of different spiritual practices. And if like, you know, you believe in the universe or just some sort of higher power, like I think a lot of different spiritual religions and practices believe that. Yeah. Yep. And you know, when we aren't stuck in survival mode and fight or flight, then we have the luxury to look deeper. But I think sometimes we just kind of forget to, you know, because we're just used to putting out fires and dealing with this, the here and now. My spirituality is biblical Christianity. And for someone who's really like has tendency to, to over-focus on things and to get anxious about things, it's so important to back up and really think about the eternal perspective. Yeah. For me, there was a long time where I didn't even know that they were separate. I thought that when I was in like fear in my mind, that was me. And then there was moments where my inner compass would be like, this is more important. And I also thought that was me. But sometimes, a lot of times they can be like battling against each other. And that was always Mm -hmm. confusing for me, like an angel devil shoulder situation, but like they (laughs) both me. So like, how do I choose? Like, where is this coming from? So I think having just like that separation, oh, There's just the part of us that's mortal and it's all about survival. And that's Mm -hmm. where that part is coming from. Fear Mm -hmm. is actually useful. It's it's what's helped us survive. Just seeing it for what it really is, not just taking it as truth, Mm -hmm. but like to step back from it and be like, okay, this fear is here. Why is it here? You know, evaluate it, ask questions about it and look at it from a bigger perspective than just like this thought came in my head. It must be truth. I'm just going to accept it as truth and move forward. I'm excited for all of your students and your readers. That that, that sounds so valuable. I, I love it. Thanks. Is there anything else you wanted to make sure that we mentioned today? The biggest thing that I hope that people get, whether they read my book, whether they listen to my podcast, whether they work with me as a client, is that all the answers that they need are already within them in your inner compass. Tell my listeners all of the places where they can find you. My book is available on Amazon right now. If you're interested in getting that, you can find me on Instagram at the Shondell Mon. Oh my gosh, Shondell. Thank you so, so much for being with me today. This was really fun. It was so fun. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Thank you so much for listening to the Fancy Free Podcast today. Make sure to check out the show notes for today's episode at fancyfreepodcast.com slash episode 95 so you can get the links to everything we discussed today. Remember to subscribe to the show so new episodes pop into your feed each week. I've been doing sort of more and more unscheduled and extra episodes on Wednesdays or Thursdays, and those are just as much fun. So if you subscribe, then no matter when they pop up, you'll get them. If you have a story to tell, 
Go to fancyfreepodcast.com, click the red button, and record an audio message for me. I will polish it all up on my end, and it will be in the show as a listener story. I love listener stories. We don't have as many of them as I wish we would, so come on, you guys. Be brave. Do it. And if you want more connection, laughter, and sharing, join the Fancy Free Facebook group. It's our own little private slice of the internet. The question of the week this week is, what food do you hate the most? And what is your favorite food? Next Monday on the show, we have Aline Azam, who is a new friend of mine who actually lives in the city I just moved away from, but we didn't know each other when we were both living there. And she is so much fun, you guys. I laughed my head off interviewing her, and I think you're going to love it. So make sure you come back next week for Aline. Have a wonderful week, and remember, no one is as fancy as they look. <laughs>